Welcome to Dr. Cindy Speaks. Regular musings and reflections on politics, current events, and life as a congressional candidate. Dr. Cindy Banyer is a mom and small business owner fighting for our water, our health, our community. She's running for the people of Southwest Florida, trying to flip Florida 19 from red to blue. Listen as she speaks truth to power and gets real about being a mom and a candidate. Hello, everybody. Dr. Cindy Banyer here for Dr. Cindy Speaks. Thanks for joining us here today for this episode. We are recording at 4.06 p.m. on August 28th, 2020. I guess the biggest news is that last week I won the Democratic primary. I don't think I've recorded a podcast since then. It has been a whirlwind, actually, for me uh, to be the underdog candidate, to have been outraised and outspent and still managed to come out victorious by 16 points in the primary. And I am hoping to do something very similar in the general election here. In my race, there were nine Republicans running on their, their side of the primary. And the victorious out of that race was Byron Donalds. He is in Naples. He is living outside of the district, but pretty close. But um, he'll be an interesting candidate to run against. I am sure that the this race moving forward is going to be very exciting for me. And I do believe, though, that my Republican opponent just thinks that he's got it in the bag. And I am looking forward to hopefully proving him wrong. So that's the big news for me here. And I'm excited to share that with my audience and uh, looking forward to also being victorious and then going on to Washington, D.C. on behalf of the people of Southwest Florida after the November election. Otherwise, what's going on here in Southwest Florida or in the, the state of the nation overall, we are still in the pandemic in the state of Florida. There's like 4,000 cases a day, seems about where we've leveled off. And everybody in the state's patting themselves on the back for a job well done. In our area here in Lee County, our positivity rate is about 13%, which is still extremely high and demonstrative of community spread. The WHO does not recommend school opening in person until there is 5% or below positivity rate. Schools open on Monday per the state. So Governor Ron DeSantis here in Florida has determined that he will force schools to open in person by the end of the month, which Monday will be August 31st. And so schools are opening and trying to get students back in there. Now, of course, there are many, many important reasons for us to open schools. And there are lots of students who need support and help in lots of different ways. There are students who rely on the schools for meals, amongst other things. And fortunately for us in our school district, we have that option and we have remote options. But I know from hearing from teachers and 
and other staff at the schools that they are still worried that not only they have the capacity to implement these health and safety regulations, but that just how it they're going to be able to do this and keep themselves and their families healthy and safe. So I, the school district staff, as well as the teachers have been advocating for a delayed start. And it seems as though they're not going to get it. There was a lawsuit that was upheld saying that the state cannot force individual school districts to open. And Governor DeSantis is appealing it right up until the very end. So we'll continue to see that play out. <laughs> and um, my for my family, we've opted to do two of the versions of remote learning, again, to keep both my older children safe, as well as to be extra precautious for my youngest daughter, who's coming out of a period of vulnerability. And um, my standpoint is it's better safe than sorry, and that we can be, you know, we can do the remote learning, so we should. And not only will that help keep our own kids safe, but it will reduce the burden on the teachers and the faculty who are there to provide a space for the children who themselves and their parents have uh, no flexibility in that respect. So I think that it, it's continuing to do our part for the community to stay home uh, when we can. Other things that have been going on recently include the Republican National Convention which has been a really amazing display of just the complete disregard for the way that our country has been run for the past 200 years. Uh, we saw every member of the Donald Trump family, including Tiffany Trump and Don Jr.'s girlfriend, because you don't even have to be married into the Donald Trump family to benefit from his desire to build nepotism-based networks, speak at the Republican National Convention. And frankly, I am, this is corruption. This is plain and simple corruption. And I have no idea why anyone who claims to be a Republican proclaims to uphold the Constitution would sit and look at the lineup alone of the convention and say, okay, yeah, this is good. This is exactly where we want to be in our democracy. You know, we have seven people that's part of the Trump family directly. And not only just like speaking, by the way, but many of whom hold official roles in the White House and the government. Also, by the way, if you remember, the traditional way that the president, when they become president, isolates themselves from the veneer of looking like they are benefiting financially from the presidency. They hand over, they put their assets, their companies in blind trusts far away from themselves. That was a thing. That was a thing that we used to do in the United States. That is a thing that Donald Trump pretended to do because remember whom he named and put those uh, the, the control of his company and assets in? His sons and his daughter, right? So he did that 
and said, oh, oh, it's the same. It's just the same. These are blind trusts. I'm not going to be doing, I'm not going to be making money off of this. And then he goes and hires these people and put them into positions, trots out Ivanka Trump at international, you know, events and forums as if she's some sort of qualified member of the administration. By the way, much to the horror and disgust of our democratic nation, national, international allies, right? They they couldn't believe how we just fell off, right, from being this place that had rules and laws and order. And we really, really wanted to be anything other than a dictator state. And then they just roll up, roll up Ivanka and our allies were beside themselves. And so that's what we had at the RNC on top of the fact that he actually held the convention and a lot of its speeches on the grounds of the White House, which of course is the people's house and meant to be the place where we have serious government business going underway, not a Republican, not even just Republican, but a Donald Trump sideshow for his campaign. And it's just, it's just unbelievable that what has happened with the Republican National Convention and that seemingly so many Republicans are just, they're just cool with it, just totally on board with the nepotism and the corruption and the leveraging of the White House for personal and political gain. I just, I just, I cannot believe that this is where we are, um, that a party that will turn around and talk about the horrors of communism and socialism under authoritarian dictators around the world will turn around and green light the same behavior in our own wannabe dictator and Donald Trump. And that's totally cool for them. And that is exactly what we saw with the Republican National Convention. It was just one complete false narrative, cult-based rally, completely flouting our rules and traditions of having a proper government and state and democracy. And, and that's where we are. And so for every single thing about my campaign, about how I am ready to serve the people, how I am ready to leverage both my commitment to the community as well as my expertise in government, I am now more than ever ready to stand and fight and call out this corruption and correct the course for this country back to what it is supposed to be, which is a beacon and the hill for democracy around the world. That is what we were supposed to be. That, in fact, by the way, is what Ronald Reagan said. So where are all the Republicans who love Ronald Reagan at? Where are they at while Donald Trump is destroying our democracy, is rolling us back from our place of global leadership. Where are you? That's what I want to know. So I, I digress from the RNC at the moment. So one of the other things that came about during the Republican National Convention was, like I said earlier, the speech from Kimberly Guilfoyle, who is the 
benefit of Donald Trump's desire for nepotism without actually having to be married into the Trump clan. She is the former Fox News host who is the girlfriend of Don Jr. And she gave a speech that was very impassioned (laughs) for her position. You may call it a firebrand speech of sorts. And I mean, personally, the content for me just seemed really, really like not consistent with reality. But that really wasn't what most people were talking about with her speech. What the biggest commentary around that was, of course, you know, and most of the Republicans were like, wow, exciting. And then a lot of other people were talking about how she was shouting and, you know, you know, villain-like in her presentation. And I kind of shot back on that because something that happened to me in our campaign in the last week, almost miraculously, frankly, was that my Republican opponent, Byron uh, Donalds, decided that he was going to debate me. This is like unprecedented. There has not been a Republican and Democrat debate in Southwest Florida um, ever. (laughs) I mean, at least not for 20, 30 years. I don't know. And um, but he decided right out the gates, we actually went with a uh, a fellow who's a conservative-ish talk show host who hosts like a Facebook page on it, trying to be counter media, hosted in a Mexican restaurant, a debate. And Byron showed up and we have several more slated and he's just ready to. I'm very excited about that because uh, Lord knows I love a debate. But um, so this debate, like I said, was uh, right after the election. It was the Friday, you know, primary was Tuesday and we did the first debate on Friday. And I mean, you can hear how I talk here. I get excited. I love my issues. I can have a bit of showmanship with it as well. And there we are in this debate that was on Facebook and radio. There was a beach talk radio was the other partner in it. And yeah, so it was very exciting And I had no idea what the questions are. I did know the nature of the host, uh, Brendan Leslie. And so I knew it was going to be, you know, he described it as the lion's den. And I knew that it was going to be, you know, tough questions from this, you know, Republican bent. And because what I told him and what I tell everybody is I am ready to talk about anything with anyone uh, at any time, Um, you know, schedule pending, but you get my point. And so I took him up on it. I said, absolutely, I'll be there. And I did. And I was ready to go. Honestly, it felt really good for me, that whole debate. And um, I was excited. I had a lot of really poignant stories and really made my case and, and hit back hard on some issues. I, I had caught Byron in, you know, in some inconsistencies with his stance on protecting the constitution and basically he'll protect it when he wants to protect it, but he'll change it when it's something that he's interested in. So, uh, there was that. Um, and there was a couple of things I got him on and, and, you know, really was hard, you know, really forceful with him on both his environmental stance as well as his an environmental record, by the way, which is, F rated by the Democratic Environmental Caucus of Florida. And um, as well as his, you know, 
NRA A plus rating for being the only legislator in the state of Florida to vote against the Parkland Act right after the mass shooting in Parkland. And he holds that with a badge of honor. So um, but anyway, so all of those points that I'm very proud to have gotten across uh, were, you know, lost in the, the Facebook universe because everybody was so hung up on the way I looked and how loud I was. So a lot of the commentary on the Facebook was, oh, she's shouting. Why is she shouting? And why is she, you know, using her hands? And first of all, let me remind everybody, it was in a bar. (laughs) It was a restaurant with a bar and the FGCU students had just come back. And so it took Brendan Leslie by surprise because every time they had recorded that previously, there was virtually no one in the, in the restaurant and it was quiet, which is what he had assured me was going to be the case. But instead it was a ruckus preschool party or, you know, first week of school party, at this Mexican restaurant that's very close to FGCU. And, um, you know, I, I played off that crowd. I, you know, called out FGCU a few times, but I basically had to shout in order for the crowd that had gathered both supporters of me and supporters of, of Byron, uh, in order for them to hear me, I had to shout and for me to hear myself, frankly, because it was loud. So this turned into people just saying really catty and nasty things about me on Facebook, which, of course, I I don't care. <laughs> I don't. I am perfectly fine saying whatever I want. And uh, if I wasn't, I wouldn't be where I am. But I just think it's so funny. Some of the very same people who were calling me out and saying really nasty, petty things about me. Oh, by the way, and incredibly sexist things. Oh, I'm childish and immature. And, you know, look at my big mouth. And, oh, I was rude how I turn my eyes or my body or my hair in a certain way. That some of these very same people were totally fine with Kimberly Guilfoyle's speech. Right. Um, Because it was their, you know, their side. Right. But I will say that for as much as I didn't personally resonate with Kimberly Guilfoyle's speech, I will absolutely stand up and say she did not deserve to be criticized for how loud and impassioned her speech was, because it would not have been the same criticism if she were a man. I will say that. And in the second breath, I will say, I do not want to hear a single other Republican Trump supporter say anything about how loud I am or how I look. Because if you look at that and that speech and you applaud it and you look at my speech and you derogate it, that's your sexism. That's your bias to your party showing. And I'm done with it. So I don't want to hear any more of that. And I will call that out every time moving forward. So, yeah. So watching the end of the RNC and watching Donald Trump desecrate our democracy by accepting his party's nomination from the White House. 
not to mention the desecration of the Rose Garden with so much historical value to it by Melania Trump and her um, very um, limited aesthetic vision for that. Uh, Yeah, it has me more and more worried. And this is why I'm running. I'm running, again, as somebody who's an expert in the area of public administration to bring back the value of our government and our government institutions and how we can design a government structure and our public administration to be that humming machine in the background that just does what we need it to do when we need to do it without getting in our way. That is truly my vision and what I have worked for and helped organizations and governments around the world design. I want to take that to our Congress. I want to take that so we can build back better our government after it has been dismantled under the Bannon Doctrine and Trump. And it is, speaking of Build Back Better, why I am supporting Joe Biden. And we need leadership. We need somebody who is a tested leader, who has been a part of designing policies that work. This whole concept of the outsider and the businessman running the government is hogwash. The government is not a business. In fact, the more that government has looked like business and tried to act like business, the less effective it has been for people, the more the deficit has risen, and those dollars have gone into the hands and the pockets of corporations through this trend of privatization. It is appalling. And if more Americans understood it, they would be against it. We like to think that the businessmen are the smart ones. And you know what? Many of them are. Many of them are amazing at the businesses they do. But when they move from being a smart business person to seeking government contracts and special favors and no-bid contracts, They become what we call in public administration rent seekers. These are the entities that explicitly try to manipulate our government processes for their own benefit and profit. They put up candidates with zero credentials, zero acumen in politics, but every bit of themselves invested and their own personal power, and gaining it by any means necessary through collaboration with corrupt corporate partners. That is exactly what we have in this race. We have someone, my opponent, who has never really been involved in government, never studied it. Yeah, you know, he got elected to the Florida legislature. And he is a perfect example of what I've talked about in terms of what happens when we have term limits. Term limits shift the power from individual politicians and, frankly, from the people who elect them 
the regular people and the voters, toward corporate powers and special interests. And this is because those corporate powers and special interests can continuously fund, groom and fund, in fact, politicians to do their bidding. And that is exactly what we see here. So that seat came open. There was somebody who had political ambition. But by the way, again, no, no commensurate experience. Okay. Just, we need this person here. He has a couple of particular special interests, one of them being charter schools. And that's why school of choice is something that he has legislated at the state level. Um, And that, by the way, financially benefits his family directly and cannibalizes our public schools and hurts our kids. And he was put there by folks who could continuously fund his campaign. And that's the problem. So when we have these term limits and people are in and out in a couple of terms, they need to have financial backers in order to get the new crop of people in. And it frankly, it creates a pipeline. Just like we see with the Republicans, they they start off in this race, this state race, and they go here and they go here and they kind of ping pong along the whole time being held up by not by not only their party apparatus, but also the corporate interests that have brought them along. And they are beholden to them every single step of the way. And that's a problem. That's a problem for me. And I, this is why I am not taking any corporate dollars of any kind. Uh, we cannot, as congressional candidates, take it. But we, I am also not funded by PACs or super PACs or taking any corporate dollars from any uh, corporate-sponsored PACs either. So I, um, you know, I, that's a big deal for me. I am not bought. I'm not sold by anyone. (laughs) Um, but that means I'm the underfunded candidate. So, but that's okay. That's okay. We'll, we'll out hustle them in another ways. But so these corporations that rent seat from our government, they look and they talk about, you know, budget deficits and, reducing the size of government. But really, what we're really talking about is really, like I said, in a pure sense, rent-seeking. It is a shift of public dollars into private pockets, private corporate pockets. Um, We see that even, you know, at the large scale with Halliburton, right? The privatization of many things in our military going to the only government contractor that has the capacity to do them. By the way, which came from a formerly government entity, okay? This is what makes it so bizarre is that this is what happens all the time. And we really shift things quite frequently in our budgets to private companies, things that used to belong to the people. And it's not so much that we've stopped funding these things in the public realm. We still fund them because a lot of people believe things such as, you know, defense and and our criminal justice system and um, roads, you know, that these these should be things that we are collectively investing in. And that's why we pay into our taxes. And this is why we at the federal and state and local level invest in them. Because we do fundamentally believe that they all benefit us. So should we, we should all pay in. The problem really is, is that when we start privatizing these things, we are still paying for them. But we're not 
we don't have control of how those things happen anymore because we just pay for them and then we give it to a company to do for us. And then that company does it and they do it well or they, they, they don't. And like I said, some of these places, there is no competition or very limited competition in terms of who the private companies that can do these public things are. So you get your Halliburtons amongst others. And again, this is very classic rent seeking. It's, it's a very classic move amongst the Republicans and they, they tout efficiency and whatever, but it's not, it's straight profiteering off of the public good. And I want it to end. So I will stand here and be the person who will absolutely a hundred percent be in favor of efficiency and effectiveness in government. And I believe that my skills as an evaluator will be incredibly important in making that a reality. You know, I've been doing this at a high level policy government, you know, national government level, all the way down to local government and organization level evaluation, performance measurement, process design, impact evaluations, outcomes measurement. That has been a significant portion of my career since about 2006. And I'm going to take those skills to Washington, D.C. to get what we really, really want, which is stuff that works, right? We want our public dollars, public good. And we've been sold a bill of goods by the Republicans saying that it's the private entities that do this. Now, the private entities and anybody who knows business will tell you this. The point of a private business is to make money. Period. And yes, the, you know, well, the corporate vision and some of them, you know, they want to help their community. Blah, 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 blah. Sure. 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 Okay. Yeah. I'm not saying they're bad. Okay. I'm not saying even that making money is bad, but I mean, let's be clear at what the motive is. Okay. And so when you give private businesses public dollars to do public good with very little oversight, you are, of course, going to get corners that are cut. And this is actually the complaint that people have when you say government needs to get out of the way. Get out of the way of what? Government needs to stop handing over our money to private companies to do things that the government should handle. And the government could handle if we didn't build so many ridiculous components into it, such as privatization components, such as the, you know, subcontracting out to vendors, such as means testing for programs, which makes them inherently more expensive and less efficient. So let's cut through the bullshit. Let's do it right. Let's design a truly efficient and effective government policy. Let's fund it the way it should be. Let's cut out the parts that hurt people. Let's cut out the parts where private companies profit. And let's do it right. Because that's what needs to happen. We can have governments that work if we get the profiteers out of the way. All right. I think that'll be the end of my diatribe for today. 
Thank you, everybody, for joining me here on Dr. Cindy Speaks, and I look forward to hearing and seeing you at another time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dr. Cindy Speaks. If you'd like to learn more about her campaign, go to cindybanyay.com or connect with her directly at vote at cindybanyay.com. We love connecting with people. Contents of this podcast are paid for and approved by friends of Sandy Banyay.